Thank you again for that last minute filling. So, all right, uh, let's pray again before we open up the confession. Lord, I uh, look to you and ask for uh, grace from you, Lord, as we open the confession again together. Lord, we we pray that Lord, as a body, we would be firmly established in sound doctrine. Lord, that we'd not be deceived, that our love would not grow cold. Lord, we uh, pray that you would equip us, Lord, by your word this evening, that, uh, Lord, you would, uh, Lord, as I open my mouth, that you would fill it, Lord, that you would, uh, by your spirit, do a a good work in us this evening, Lord, as we study this uh, doctrine of justification together. Lord, we give you thanks and ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, we finished chapter 10 last week in the confession, and we're on moving into chapter 11, which is on justification. And uh, in my limited study over this last week on this doctrine, it is rich, and I'm sure I will in no way do justice to the the complete work of justification that God does in salvation. But I hope to uh, uh, unpack a little bit what the confession has for us. So we're going to just do paragraph one so that the coming weeks will be uh, discussing justification uh, further. Let's start by reading that together. It's up on the screen. I'm sorry, I don't have a handout for you. Um, I thought uh, Mr. Law was going to be sending one over, and uh, I did not prepare one. So, so chapter 11, paragraph 1. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is a gift of God. So there is a lot packed into that paragraph. So before we dive into and break that paragraph down a little bit, I want to step back and look at, uh, it's been mentioned a few times over the set, last several weeks, the order of salvation. So we talked last about the effectual call. And this is from uh, Wayne Gruden's Systematic Theology. Just thought it would be helpful to sort of just see where justification is in the process of salvation that God works. So I'll just read through this real quickly. We're not going to dive into any other part than justification, but Uh, So, beginning with election, God's choice of people to be saved. The gospel call, a proclamation of the gospel. 
regeneration, being born again, conversion, faith and repentance, justification, right legal standing before God, adoption, membership in God's family, sanctification, right conduct in life, perseverance, remaining a Christian, death, going to be with the Lord, and then glorification, receiving resurrection bodies. So, like I said, we talked about the effectual call. So as God's elect receives and responds to the effectual call in repentance and faith, God does the work of justification. Grudem says this, When someone responds to God's call in repentance and faith, God responds to that faith by thinking of that person's sins as forgiven and by thinking of Christ's righteousness as belonging to that person. At that very moment, God also declares that person to be righteous in his sight. This act of God called justification is called justification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and therefore declares us to be just or morally righteous in his sight. So why is this doctrine important? Why is it important that we have a good understanding of this doctrine? I think it was interesting, I was mentioning to the family on the way here, that we're studying this doctrine right at the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, As Luther said, justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. Sam Waldron, in his uh, commentary on the confession, says the doctrine of justification brings us to the central question of religion. How can I be right with God or just before God? So it's critical in that it defines for us how we, as sinful human beings, can be made right with a holy God. We need to... um, Actually, I listened to a few messages and... This week on justification, I don't remember where this one was from. I think it might have been Paul Washer, but just the reminder that there's only two kinds of people in the world. You're either justified or under the wrath of God. Um, L. Martin said, in every single revival, this truth of justification comes to birth with fresh power. So I think as a church, it's critical that, we, uh, that we're not content with vague ideas of what the doctrine of justification is, that we have a clear understanding. Uh, no blessing of salvation is more foundational to the Christian life than that of justification. The heart of the gospel is the setting forth of that righteousness which constitutes our justification. So I mentioned uh, Waldron and his commentary. In it, he gives this uh, outline of this, uh, this paragraph, and I think, think it's helpful how we see again in this paragraph 
not only a definition of what justification is, but what it is not. So he breaks it down into the essence of justification, pardon, and acceptance. So we see in the paragraph we read that justification is not a moral transformation. It's a legal transaction. That it's not from us, but from Christ. And that it is not by imputing faith itself or evangelical obedience to us as righteousness, but it is by imputing Christ's active and passive obedience. So just sort of keep that outline in your mind and uh, how the paragraph defines what it is and what it is not as we start to break it down. So the first part of the paragraph, those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth. So I have Romans 3.24 up there. I'm actually going to read uh, verses 20 to 26. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, and then I like to look at definitions too. And... uh, uh, did it in a few of the, the words of the confession here, but justify. What, is it, what does it mean to justify? And we've talked about it a little bit already, but Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines it as to pardon and clear from guilt, to absolve or acquit from guilt and merited punishment, and to accept as righteous on account of the merits of the Savior, or by the application of Christ's atonement to the offender. So you don't see some of that definition in dictionaries that you use today. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it. Um, that, uh, so it's, a, it's a, legal, a legal transaction. Grudem says, again, it is God acting as judge declaring that an individual is righteous in his sight. If God has declared you righteous in his sight, you do not have to pay the penalty for your past, present, or future sins. The sins of those justified are considered forgiven because God considers their sins as belonging to Christ, and Christ already paid the penalty for those sins. So then the confession continues. God freely justifies, but it is not by infusing righteousness into them. 
So what does infusing mean? Actually, one of my children asked us on the way here as we were talking about this. To infuse is to instill as principles or qualities. So I'll try to expand on this a little bit and why it's important. This was really uh, the primary difference between the Protestants and the Roman Catholics uh, at the time of the Reformation. And I think it's critical why uh, the writers of the Confession used this word, uh, infused, that it's, it's not a righteousness, that it's infused to us, that justifies us. <clears throat> the Roman, tr- uh, this is actually from an online commentary of the Confession uh, by Gary Marble. He said, the Roman church views justification as a process whereby righteousness is actually infused into a person. Justification for the Roman Catholic Church is not a legal pronouncement by God that we are righteous, but an actual implantation of righteousness into our nature, which results in the actual practice of righteousness. And then Grudem, on the same topic, says, the doctrine of justification was the central difference between the Protestants and the Roman Catholics at the time of Reformation, which began with, Mar- with Martin Luther in Wittenberg in 1517. Luther and all the other Protestants who followed him insisted that justification was by faith alone, while Roman Catholics responded that justification was by faith plus use of the means of grace found in the sacraments of the church such as baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, as experienced in the Mass and the penance. The Protestant doctrine of justification says that we are fully justified by God the instant we believe, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Roman Catholic doctrine says that we are not fully justified until after we die, and we have been purified in purgatory. So these differences between Protestants and Roman Catholics about justification have continued to this day. So I hope that uh, that was helpful. It was helpful for me, just the uh, how the catechism, or how the confession pointed out that it's not in any part God infusing in you a. a a power to walk a righteous life that justifies you. So the confession continues. <clears throat> but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their per- persons as righteous. So we get a few scriptures up there on the on the slide. Ephesians 1, 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then Romans 4, 5 to 8. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
And then a quote there from uh, Waldron again, justification is not a change in us, in us, it is a verdict about us. A. A. Hodge states, this justification is purely judicial is a purely judicial act of God as judge, whereby he pardons all the sins of a believer and accounts, accepts and treats him as a person righteous in the eye of the divine law. So, does that mean that God does not see our sin? No, God still sees our sin, right? He just does not count it against us, against the believer. The moment you believed in Christ, you were pardoned of every sin, past, present, and future. John Murray states, regeneration is an act in us. Justification is a judgment of God with respect to us. Only through the righteousness of Christ can God accept us as righteous. All right, and just continue to walk through the paragraph. Not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. And that might be a little small on the screen there. But if you can read along, it, you don't have to read it out loud, I'll read it. But for you, seeing your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So again, when the confession says, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, it's refuting the Roman Roman Catholic Church's belief that that our works have a part in our justification. All right, we'll keep going. The next part of the confession. Not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness. So what the confession is telling us here is our faith does not have any merit before God. Our faith does not earn us favor with God. And our own action of believing does not justify us. And then evangelical obedience. Uh, This is from one commentary as far as a definition of that. Uh, Any obedience related to God's gospel call to repent and believe. So our obedience to the gospel call is merely a response to God's work in us and not even a single aspect of our obedient response to the effectual call is credit, credited to us as righteousness. 
it is solely and only Christ's righteousness that is deposited into our account. Grudem says, although, uh, and this is speaking again of uh, that it's not the faith imputed itself. Although justification comes about as God's act in response to our faith, that does not mean our faith has any merit before God. It is not our faith that earns us favor with God. Scripture is clear. Justification is based solely on the merits of Christ's work. It is never based on any merit in our faith. This is really wonderful news because it means that we don't have to create value or make payments, payment of sins for ourselves. We can look to God through Christ to freely give us that which we know we can't give ourselves. And then the confession continues. So we just talked about a few things that it's not. Now looking again at what it is. But, so we're justified, by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness by faith. So impute, another definition. What does it mean uh, to impute? It's to charge, to attribute, to set to the account of, to reckon to one what does not belong to him. Christ's active obedience. I was going to ask, I guess, what uh, someone thought that means, but I... It's on the screen. So, Paul, you want to read that? What's it say? His obedience to the whole law, perfectly. So his active obedience means that he actively obeyed. He came in the flesh. He took on the form of a man. And he fully obeyed perfectly God's law. That was his active obedience. How about his passive obedience? Benjamin, you want to read that? So his passive obedience was that he he bore the consequences for those who disobeyed, for those who had broken the law. Romans fifteen seventeen to nineteen. I just put the reference up there. Who would like to volunteer to look it up and read it for me? Anyway. Who's got it? You got it? Go for it. The New King James Version. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, 
through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. By one man's obedience. So the free gift resulting in justification. Uh, Sam Aldrin and his commentary on the confession said, we needed, and this is speaking of the, um, again, of the active and passive obedience of Christ. Um, we needed, firstly, the forgiveness of the guilt of our sins. This is provided by Christ's passive obedience, his suffering, the penalty of the law. Secondly, we needed the gift of a positive righteousness. This is provided by Christ's active obedience, his obedience to the precepts of God's law and all the other dimensions of the perceptive will of the Father for him. The example of Adam will help make this clear. Christ is the second Adam, but his mission is complicated by the failure of the first Adam. What Adam, what did Adam have to do to inherit eternal life? He needed simply to obey the law written on his heart and the special precept God had given him. What did Christ have to do if we are to inherit eternal life? He had to undo what Adam did, deal with our guilt, and do what Adam failed to do, provide the positive obedience Adam failed to give. The first provided is provided by Christ's suffering or passive obedience. The second is provided by Christ's righteousness or active obedience. All right, and then the confession concludes this paragraph. Which faith they have not of themselves, it is a gift of God. So I love how the confession ends this. In case you had any doubt that it is has anything to do with you. So we know we're justified by faith. But even the faith that we have that justifies us is a gift from God. So a few scriptures, and these are up on the screen. So, Josh, are you going to read the first one? And Daniel, you want to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there is no boasting. Even the faith we have to be justified is a gift. Paul Washer said it, if it has... <coughs> This is why it's really this is a comforting truth, what we're to, the, the confession is defining here. If it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him, I'm always saved because he is always righteous. Nothing that I can do to myself can change that. Justification is all what God did for us and never at all what we do. 
Every other religion in the world requires your own works, as all are part of your salvation. Christianity alone depends on the virtue and merit of another. So I just want to read through the, that whole paragraph again one more time so you can see it all back together. Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and sole righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is a gift of God. And I'll just close with this quote uh, from Sam Waldron. Christian, look not in yourself to earn the smile of God. Look to Christ alone as the reason God should justify. Rejoice in justification, perfect, free, and irreversible. Glory in Christ's work for you, its fullness and perfection. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work of justification. Lord, we thank you for the reminder in the confession that it is all of you and none of us, Lord. And in that, we have hope. We have eternal hope, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We pray, Lord, that though we've uh, just scratched the surface this evening on this doctrine of justification, that you would uh, renew it afresh Lord, in our midst as a church body as we continue through the confession and that, Lord, we would uh, Lord, rejoice in it. Lord, Lord we, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your great salvation. Lord, our hope is in Christ alone. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us deeper into your word and uh, into a better understanding of your ways, Lord. May we be your faithful servants. Uh, We confess we are weak, and we look to you for strength in Christ's name. Amen.